Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Welcome. Thank you for being here today. This is the regular board meeting of the Shawnee Mission School District Board of Education. It's November 11th, and it's Veterans Day. Each year we pause to rec recognize all those that serve our country, and it's a very important day. And so we're glad that we were able an opportunity to spend a day in our country recognizing veterans. Before we begin the rest of the meeting, we, we have a good-sized group here today, and uh, we, want, we might be bumping into uh, some fire codes. So what I would suggest is everyone make a note that there are exits in each of these corners. There are the red signs. There's an exit over here and an exit over here. So please make note, just in case. We won't have a reason, but we want to make sure that everyone's aware of that. With that, our first item is the Pledge of Allegiance. Please stand. Well done. Thank you to the students from Overland Park Elementary. And I'll now ask their principal, Mrs. Foucher, if you would introduce our guests. Thank Welcome. you. I would like to introduce our sixth grade honor society. They are members who have good standing in academics as well as they're very involved in their uh, volunteerism. So I would like to start with... I'm Audrey Jennings. I'm Alina Legion. I'm Isabel Ornelas. I'm Deanna Boston. I'm Connor Atkins. I'm Layla Thurber. I am Will Papa George, and in honor of Veterans Day, we would just like to say thank you for your service. Thank you again for being here today. We appreciate it. Well done. We now move on to the regular portion of our meeting, and the first item before us is the adoption of the agenda. I'll seek a motion to adopt. So moved. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. Second. Thank you, Mrs. Zila. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 And those opposed, nay. And that passes 7-0. We move on to the minutes of our October 28th meeting. I'll seek a motion to approve. So moved. Thank you, Mrs. Owsley. Second. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. All those in favor of approving the minutes from our October 28th meeting, please say aye. 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 Those opposed, nay. And that's approved 7-0. We now move to section two, which is our communication items. And our first up is the superintendent report, Dr. Fulton. Yes, thank you, and great to see everybody this evening. We have lots of good news to share from around the district. We want to start with Blue Jacket Flint. Elementary school has been recognized as an Apple Distinguished School for 2019 through 2022. Apple Distinguished Schools are considered to be among the most innovative schools in the world for the ways they inspire creativity, collaboration, and critical thinking among students. Blue Jacket Flint teachers set a common goal for their students. They wanted pre-kindergarten through sixth graders to arrive at school each day, so excited to learn that they were running toward the building and bursting through the doors. And with this vision in mind, they worked to foster a school environment centered on the idea of school being a place where serious learning is seriously fun. Congratulations to the Blue Jacket teachers and staff. Rose Hill Elementary School has also been recognized as an Apple Distinguished School 
for 2019 to 2022. Rose Hill Elementary, where the future is unlimited, has students serve as advisors to city officials and is home to transportation engineers, fashion designers, and award-winning inventors. They are taking steps to identify their own path toward college and career. The school serves a diverse population and the school's one-to-one -one digital learning resources make sure each student is able to pursue essential and personalized opportunities. Congratulations to Rose Hill. <laughs> Culinary arts students are preparing Thanksgiving food to help with uh, holiday preparations. For this annual Skills USA fundraiser, they will be baking side dishes, desserts, and breakfast items for the holiday. And here's the important part. You can order online, and we'll include that information in the board recap on where you can order food if you'd like to do so. Students from across the Shawnee Mission School District provided their video reviews of William Allen White Award books. On our website, you can see the recommendations for books for the fifth, third through fifth grade reading level and books for the sixth through eighth grade reading level. The William Allen White Book Award books feature a variety of literature, including fiction, biographies, and nonfiction. We want to recognize our first graduate from our new online high school diploma initiative, Project Finish. Ashley Alvarez completed her coursework and will be awarded a Shawnee Mission School District Diploma. Congratulations to her. And then with the recent election, third graders at Pawnee Elementary learned that every vote counts as they cast their votes for their favorite candy. They gave persuasive speeches, registered to vote, and cast their ballot as part of their unit on voting. Election results declared Skittles as the winner by a very narrow margin. Congratulations to Pawnee Elementary. Representative Sharice Davids hosted more than 160 veterans and their families this morning for a breakfast in the Broadmoor Bistro. Representative Davids thanked everyone for their service and she hopes to make this an annual event. Carl Perlberg was awarded the Purple Heart for his service on July 15, 2012 in Afghanistan. There were Veteran Day recognition events throughout our district as schools honored our servicemen and women. We want to thank them for doing that. And if we have any veterans in the audience today, could you please stand or wave so we can recognize you? That's great. Thank you again for your service. A parent education event will be hosted at 6 p.m. on Wednesday, November 13th at Indian Woods Middle School in 9700 Woodson. The presentation will include signs and symptoms of marijuana use and vaping, how today's marijuana has changed, and resources for parents. All parents and guardians are invited to attend and child care is provided. And we'll include an RSVP link in the board recap. We want to, we're, as you know, we're celebrating 50 years as a unified school district this week. Our Shawnee Mission StoryCorps video features Shawnee Mission North Senior Brian Blood. 
He is a categories competitor carrying on. I heard about nutrition. categories probably when I, when I was a freshman and it kind of maybe heard a little bit about it before, but it's basically a big trivia show where you have a team of five and you get to answer questions individually, um, but anyone on your team can answer and you try to compete against different schools in the Shawnee Mission and Blue Valley school districts. Uh, it was really special. It's you know longest running game show in the Kansas City area and my mom participated in it when she was in high school as well. So it was definitely, she likes to come to all of my competitions uh, and uh, kind of show that and we've definitely improved since I've been a freshman you know maybe mainly a team of freshmen and now we're all seniors and so it's really cool to see that I'm really excited to see how we're going to kind of improve uh, through that lat through this last year and hopefully uh, be able to go to the playoffs and win it's just so fun um, especially when it's broadcasted live on TV and it's the first channel most people turn to so like I'll be at work or even out in the community and people will be like, hey, I've seen you on TV before. And like, that's really cool. My brother's starting to get involved. He's a freshman here at Shawnee Mission North. And so he's starting and carrying on that tradition um, from the family. That's awesome. that's great. Congratulations, Brian. And then finally, uh, just very quickly, we worked with the fact finder and Shawnee Mission NEA today to work on defining the process and, you know, really deeply desire to get to fact-finding as quickly as we can, hopefully in December, so we can uh, get to resolution and find agreement. And that concludes my report. All right. Thank you. And next up uh, is item 2.02, and that is a board update on the strategic plan. And Dr. Fulton will provide that. Okay, well, I'm happy to bring forward tonight the first quarterly update on our community strategic plan. And uh, there'll be a written overview of this presentation posted online a little bit later this week. As you know, we've defined our destination as every student having a personalized learning plan that supports them in being college and career ready and gives them, make sure that they have the interpersonal skills that they need that are important to life success. So with that destination known, we're spending this year charting the course this year we've been working from the strategic plan blueprint. It is important to take time to study issues so we understand the why and make decisions that are sustainable over time. With learning, as defined by our three objectives, we, uh, we want to make sure and take time to look at how time, structure, and instructional strategies fit into making sure that we achieve those three objectives. That study will be ongoing, and like I said, we'll be spending a lot of time on that this year. Part of that charting the course for this year involves preparation around data, research, and problem solving. We have a, a, lot, a real strength to uh, build off of, but there's also a number of complex problems that we have to solve around those issues of time, instruction, and um, uh, the other variables that we're dealing with. So. We're going to spend a lot of time this year on that. We have a number of groups that are working to help chart our path. They're all in various stages of the work. Some groups are busy studying topics. Others are, have done that study and they're starting the planning process. Others are now to the act stage. And of course, sometimes this is a little bit reciprocal because you study, plan, act, and then sometimes you keep going with study and planning as you continue to improve your processes. We're going to start off with strategy one, which is to reimagine teaching and learning. 
The color code on these slides, which is red, matches up with the strategy of learning. On the personalized learning teams, they're really getting started with their study. The teams have formed to begin organizing this work. Progress is being made in developing a portrait of a graduate, which will be finalized at their next meeting. A shared definition and common language for personalized learning will then follow. The real-world learning task force is composed of parents, students, business partners, as well as post-secondary partners. This teamwork is being informed by all kinds of data, including data from the Johnson County Labor Market Survey. That survey will help inform our career pathway expansion efforts, along with best practices from high school CTE programs from throughout the country. This is part of the work taking place in the KC metro area around expanding real-world learning opportunities for students and externships for staff. And then finally, curriculum cadres are at work defining the essential competencies and revising curriculum documents. This work will be ongoing throughout the year. They're well into the work, they've done study, now they're doing this planning. And next year, the work will move to implementing high-impact research-based instructional strategies to teach the essential competencies. Strategy two, which you see in the green, is around equitable and inclusive culture. And we have a group that's just begun work on recruitment and hiring. In fact, two groups have met to gather and analyze data on recruitment and hiring, and their work will continue throughout the school year. Other groups are a bit further along. The social-emotional learning group was involved in implementing the Panorama Social and Emotional Learning Surveys in September in grades three through eight. The district will receive disaggregated data and resource platform information next week, and buildings will share information with families individually. Implementation training on Panorama for high schools will begin in February 2020. So it's at both the planning and the act stage. We uh, began implementation of our deep equity training for all staff with training for building level uh, leaders in September and the beginning of building level training in October. This work is designed to develop ever deeper levels of understanding around issues of equity. The next district-wide training is scheduled for Thursday, November 14th. And then finally, as you well know, we've been working on policies related to the plan, specifically policy AC, was updated by the Board of Education, uh, review committee, and then ultimately approved by the Board of Education uh, for our non-discrimination policy. Now, the Board of Education is continuing work on other policies to bring those into alignment uh, to make sure all of our policies are aligned with our non-discrimination language. We also have groups that are working on quality educators. The first group is working on uh, professional development. They are going to actually begin their work on Wednesday, November 13th, so there's not a lot to report there. The teacher planning and collaboration group, which is item 3.22 in our strategic plan, began work on Thursday, November 7th. This group is addressing action step 3.22, which states we will analyze the feasibility of increasing teacher planning and collaboration time by having secondary teachers teach five classes and elementary teachers have one grade level planning period and one individual planning period. And then also as part of that action step, there were options to explore. 
There were options to uh, explore providing protected professional learning community time for elementary, middle, and high school by building the time into the schedule for each week. And then there was also a notice of developing policy that will ensure that the structure of PLCs is consistent and applied at all levels. Now that group is just starting its work and they are looking at, uh, they have several different groups that are uh, working on uh, the study piece. They're gonna look at increased planning time for elementary and secondary teachers. Another group's gonna be working on looking at practices and other school districts related planning time. And also they're gonna look at ways to uh, have consistent PLC time across all grade levels. So they're gonna do that study then we'll be able to take that report. Various group, appropriate groups will be able to use it as we get into more detailed planning to see what's possible. So that's exciting. Uh, next, we are going to work on, we have a group that's working on systems, that's strategy four. Uh, the response to intervention task force began its work in October. The committee of approximately 50 members has met twice. The group spent time establishing norms, reviewing current reality, and the district students assess handbook. And this committee will be continuing, continuing their work into second quarter. And then finally, we on strategy five, which is state-of-the-art facilities, as you know, we've had a lot of work around this particular um, strategy this, this year so far. The district held facilities forums in each of the five high school attendance areas. These forums were an opportunity for stakeholders to learn more about the planning process, the big picture of school facility needs, and the preliminary list of priorities, including specific information related to each attendance area. Parents, students, staff, and community members were invited to attend any of the forums. Individual feedback was gathered at the forums and we brought back to the district facilities task force for, for review. We don't have that uh, analysis done yet, but as soon as we get it done, we'll bring it back here and I'll provide it as part of my ongoing strategic planning update. Now the next step is to conduct a demographic study for the purpose of establishing enrollment projections and also look at the impact that enrollment will have on facility capacity. This is a critical step for us to take because we need that to inform uh, if we want to add instructional programs, if we want to address issues of class size, et cetera, that information comes first and then we can have the data we need to begin to make decisions about important issues. Um, once that information is collected and analyzed and complete, it can be reviewed by the committee. And again, that information can be made to other, available to other groups as well. So all of these all of this work interconnects. None of it sits independent of each other. It's important as we go through the work that we build a system that's connected, coherent, and sustainable. We wanna make sure that we have the resources that we need to make us the very best that we can be and build off of our many, many strengths. I'll be happy to respond to any questions. Thank you. Questions for Dr. Fulton. Dr. Sinclair. Um, thank you for the update. Um, the jumping to the last piece, the facilities, um, the, the open house uh, forums was in part created for an opportunity to give people that one-to-one -one, um, interaction and to ask questions of the designers, architects, administrators about the um, 
current pro the current status of the plans. Um, I assume that for those who weren't able to attend the open house, that in, sometime in the near future we'll figure out a way. We're going to determine a way that that information will become available to other folks. But part of the reason of the open house was to provide that one-on-one -on -one opportunity for those who could be available. Absolutely. We'll work on getting all of that information up online along with a summary of the feedback that we receive from patrons. Mm -hmm. We'll also make sure and help everyone understand that that was kind of stage one. Mm -hmm. And there's several more stages yet to come before we bring forward any kind of a recommendation to the board for, for a potential bond issue. Thank you. Housley? Um, the RFP for the survey went out recently. It did. It's, uh, it's due back November 15th, I believe, is the deadline. At that point, we'll interview uh, firms that have applied, and we hope to get that demographic study going just as quickly as we can, probably realistically in December. We'll get started. What does the turnaround time look like on one of those for us to get the information back? Do you have... That's a really that? good. That's a really good question. I hate to answer that tonight. I think once we get through the RFPs and we do the interviews, I'll be able to come back with more detailed information. I mean, certainly this winter we would want to have that study done. And there's really two parts. There's the enrollment projection study, but then there's also the facility capacity study. And those two are interrelated with each other. Because we need those both at the same time. We do. Yeah, those are, that's, those are both really important pieces of data in order to do long-range planning. Thank you. Reverend Guy. I attended the facilities forum at Shawnee Mission West, and there were maybe uh, 20 people from the community who came. Was that pretty typical of all five of those? or? Um... That's pretty typical. Um, there was not a large turnout, but it, the folks that came were very engaged, and we were glad they were there. But I don't know exactly what the ranges were, but um, 20 is probably on spot, Okay. plus or minus. The board member questions. The update, You're appreciate welcome. it. Our next item on the agenda is uh, 2.03, and this is our board report. This is the opportunity for board members to report in on the work that they're doing on various committees. I'll turn to uh, Mrs. Owsley and update on our foundation. Uh, no update right now. All right, thank you. And um, Laura Guy, uh, board of directors of KASB. The Board of Directors met last Saturday. First, we had a joint meeting with the Legislative Committee and broke up into small groups and talked about the proposed legislative agenda. Um, this was the first time I had a chance to sit in small groups with the other board members and Legislative Committee members from Western Kansas and uh, had a chance to hear how some of their concerns are different from our concerns. Mary can report on that later about the legislative committee meeting. Um, so I, I have a deeper appreciation of KASB trying to negotiate how to meet the needs of those of us in eastern Kansas, larger school districts, and the people in western Kansas. Uh, but it also re reinforced the importance of our own legislative agenda and how important it is that we get out there. What's most important to Shawnee Mission School District, so I look forward to us working on that soon and um, having that to submit as well. And that's all I have to report. Thanks. Dr. Sinclair? Um, so the Legislative Committee met that um, Friday and then we rescheduled a 
we scheduled a follow-up phone call for Friday night at 8 o'clock, and we were on the phone for another hour and a half. Um, I won't go into all the details of those two meetings. Um, the Probably the top two uh, items that we spent some time on was um, about the state Kansas Association School Board's platform um, around electronic nicotine delivery devices. And so we just worked on that language to make sure that it was the um, the actions and intent were clear, so to provide more education, awareness, um, we got included a component on cessation so that it be, does not become a punitive piece, but that if we have students in our staff who have become addicted to that through the use of um, jewels or whatnot, that we have in our program the opportunity to um, help address some of the cessation issues around that. Uh, and then, um, also just looking on whether or not uh, access should be limited to age. So we didn't weigh in specifically on that, but that's open. The other piece was around healthcare access, and there was discussion around Medicaid expansion. The focus of this group was around the eligibility, students who are currently eligible but are not enrolled. So in Johnson County, there are 3,500 3,500 children who are eligible um, but who are not enrolled. And so part of that was about, uh, part of the conversation was how do we get those students um, participating. I will provide a, a detailed kind of notes on our conversation, but I believe the link was already provided and that's accessible online to the current draft um, on the KASB website as well. And I think the link is on the, has been shared. Thank you. Okay. Uh, policy Review Committee, Mrs. Goodburn. Yes, um, we met last week, November 7th. We have two policies to bring forward at our next meeting, GACA, or revisions to those policies, GACA and GACB. Um, we also discussed uh, the possibility of taking a, a little break from the policy um, in December and at our next meeting looking at the board manual because we potentially could have some updates depending on the outcome of this meeting to make to our board manual. And considering that we have two new members joining us um, in January as well, that there are some revisions that may need to be made to that board manual. So we're talking about doing that in December. Thank you. Uh, a new group will be convening. They have not convened yet, but we have volunteers from our board, and they will serve on our legislative task force, Mrs. Owsley, Dr. Sinclair, Mrs. Zila, and uh, they will meet with uh, David Smith and our legislative advisor, uh, Dr. Little, and they will begin to discuss our legislative platform so that we can uh, take action on that before December concludes, so we're ready for the legislative session. So thank you for raising your hands to be a part of that. And that concludes our uh, updates from our board. And uh, now we'll move on to item four, uh, 2.04 in our public comment section. And uh, I'll read a couple of... I'll read a couple of quick reminders and then we'll invite our guests forward for this evening. Uh, public comment occurs at regular scheduled Board of Education meetings to provide an opportunity to address uh, individuals to address the board regarding school district issues. And here are a couple of reminders to help speakers have a constructive and positive experience when presenting your comments to the board. When making your remarks, please proceed to the podium when your name is called and share your name, your city of residence, what schools your children attend, if that's applicable, and the name of any group or organization you may be representing. I'll ask that you limit your comments tonight to three minutes. 
Uh, written comments or materials uh, certainly are accepted and can be given to the board clerk for distribution and we do ask that you provide eight copies for, our, for distribution to the board. Uh, please make your comments behind the podium. Any complaints regarding specific students or staff should first be addressed to the administration in accordance with board policy KN complaints. If that procedure has been completed, the board will consider whether to hear such complaints in executive session in order to protect the privacy and interests of students and or staff involved. If comments pertain to an item on the meeting's agenda, the board president may ask the superintendent or his or her designee to address those comments at the time or when the item is up for board discussion. And lastly, generally, responses from board members during public comment will be limited to clarifying questions. And I will turn to the board to see if they have any clarifying questions at the end of each speaker tonight. So if you could just pause after your comments just to see if any board member might want to ask a, a clarifying question. And uh, with that, we'll invite our first guest tonight, and that is uh, Susan Cunningham. Welcome. Thank you. It's a little intimidating, so my voice gets shaky. Bear with me. My name's Susan Cunningham. I live in Prairie Village. I have three uh, children who've gone to Prairie, Indian Hills, and Shawnee Mission East. I've been a teacher at Briarwood for 12 years. I'm a second grade teacher. Three years ago, uh, we moved into our new building, a building that was built for 450 to 500 students which is the optimal size for an elementary school. We now have 628 students in our building. We are crowded and bursting at the seams. We have 24 students in each of four kindergarten sections. Until recently, we had 24 to 25 students in four sections of first grade. We have 23 students in four sections of second grade. Although these numbers are within district guidelines for classroom size, there is virtually no way we can develop and implement and manage personalized learning plans with that many young people in our classrooms. <laughs> to give you a snapshot of what primary teachers struggle with, and I think actually all teachers every day, um, the reading levels in my classroom range from kindergarten to fifth grade, and this is not unusual. <clears throat> I would like to propose that each of you and all top administrators spend a minimum of one full day per year in, each elementary, in, an, in an elementary school classroom, one full day a year in a middle school classroom, and one full day a year in a high school classroom. This would go a long way in healing relationships. It would also give you a better understanding of what classroom teachers experience and manage every day. With that knowledge, you would gain, um, you would uh, be better equipped to make good decisions for us, our students, for our schools, and for the district. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Does any board members have any clarifying questions for Mr. Cunningham this evening? Being here. Woo! 
next to invite Jennifer Danaher. Thank you. Um, my name is Jennifer Danaher, and I live in Overland Park. Um, I am a teacher at Krista McAuliffe Teaching Kindergarten, and I have had a daughter graduate from Shawnee Mission South High School last May, and my son currently attends Shawnee Mission South High School. I am a teacher. I love children, and I work hard each day trying to do what's best for them. I come in early each morning, leaving my own children before they even get up for school in Shawnee Mission. I educate, tie shoes, zip coats, sharpen pencils, give hugs, build students up, teach life lessons, and care about my students. I communicate with parents and am there for them as they have concerns and questions because we are a team helping their child to grow. I work hard every day to meet the needs of my students and to make special memories with them. I will be remembered by my students for years to come and I take that responsibility seriously. I know how I want to be remembered. I am a teacher. I'm also a single widowed mother, raising two children on my own on a teacher's salary that this board is yet to determine. Every penny is accounted for, and when my husband first passed away, my district only offered the family plan for insurance, a premium that was half my monthly take-home pay. People were shocked when I told them this, as SMSD is such a large, dis large district. And that's been remedied. I now do get to do um, employee plus child slash children. That's more affordable. Um, but at that point, that was all that was available to my family, so I had to put them in the insurance marketplace. Um, I humbly applied for Medicaid for my children, only to learn that I made $400 a year too much to qualify. At this point, I had been teaching 20 years and was almost eligible for can care. I went back to school online at Pitt State to get my master's degree less than a year after my husband passed away and used the very little life insurance he had to pay for that degree. It was my only way to bring home more income to our family. Other professions pay for their employees to further their education. How ironic that education itself doesn't support their staff improving their knowledge base by continuing to educate themselves. I am a parent of Shawnee Mission students, one who graduated last May and started her first year in college, and one who attends Shawnee Mission South High School. When their dad passed away, teachers and coaches came to the funeral and offered their support to my children then and for years to come. I am so grateful for those teachers and coaches who act as a positive male role model for my teenage son as he grows up without his father. They make such a difference. Class sizes have continued to grow during my children's time in Shawnee Mission, and I can see that their teachers are overwhelmed as they try to reach all students. I value these teachers and coaches, and you should too. I am a teacher. I am a single widowed parent. I almost didn't speak up because I need my job. I have no backup. And as I hold my breath, Waiting for this board to decide, I'm trying to figure out where I can cut back in my budget even more. You are looking at numbers. It's time you look at the people who are affected by your decision.
not just the numbers on a spreadsheet. I am one of those people. My name is Jennifer Danaher, and I am a teacher. Thank you for what you do for the district and thank you for sharing your comments. Mm -hmm. Any board members have any clarifying questions? Okay. Thank you. Next, next is Megan Pogorek. And please correct me if I got that wrong. Welcome. Thank you. My name is Megan Pogorek and I teach English at Shawnee Mission North High School. As workload rises, I have watched many great teachers not just leave the district, but the profession they love, because it has all become too much. Too much time spent planning at home. Too much time grading papers on their own time. Too much time in important meetings to help students, but the resources needed to help those students aren't available because the district is priority, prioritizing costs elsewhere. Too much time away from our families because we are worried about our students. Too much of our own out-of-pocket money spent on school supplies, food, and other materials for our students because district money is allocated elsewhere. You ask too much of us teachers, so I stand here at a loss because I know my words haven't affected you. You continue to tell teachers to do more with less to spend our own money, time, and resources to get materials for our students that they need to learn. I appear unable to help you see the damage that is caused when our voices go unheard. Whole buildings full of teachers and building administrators wanting only what is best for our students are falling apart because we have no time to build relationships with each other and our students. You, you, through your new strategic plan, speak of the importance of knowing our students to guide them through individual learning to become career and college ready. But you and we, your teachers, have yet to form a relationship of our own. Do you know us? Do your actions demonstrate a knowledge of our concerns? You must care that teachers are overworked, asked to do more with less, and to just keep giving until we are but a shell of the teacher, parent, spouse, and friend we once were. You have the power to win, but you need to exercise the wisdom not to. Power doesn't win. It merely defeats. But defeating teachers' goals doesn't hurt the teachers. It hurts the students, who are your children and our future. What do we do next? I don't know. I am a great teacher. I work with great teachers. My building administrators work hard and are great leaders. The board needs to stand up and support teachers. By not supporting their teachers, the board members of the Shawnee Mission School District are truly not supporting their students. Thank you.
Any board members have any clarifying questions? Thank you. Appreciate you coming forward. Next is Tyler French. Welcome. Thank you. Hello, my name is Tyler French. I live in Roland Park, and I have two kids going to, one kid going to Roseland, one will be there soon. I'm here as a parent. I'm not a teacher, uh, but I'm here to support them. Um, first, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say some things, but first I wanted to thank them. And there's thousands of families around here that trust their kids with you every day for their safety and their learning, their education. Um, and you won't ever have enough uh, appreciation for that. So I just wanted to say thank you. Um, you know, you're, you're creating a foundation for our kids, but also, frankly, our society. And you probably don't hear thank you enough. So thank you very much. As a parent, I send my kids to school daily to be molded by professionals, not babysat. You know, I don't, um, and right now you're not, you're not treating them like professionals. Uh, I do not need to comment on the value of education. I believe we're all in agreement there, but I am here to comment on the district's priorities and what you're choosing to spend time and money on. I chose Shawnee Mission not because of who's on the board or who the superintendent is or who the president of the board is or this building, which frankly is unnecessary, or the iPads. or any of the bells and whistles. I chose this district because of the teachers. That's why I'm here, that's why people flock to live in this area, because of the teachers and their incredible accomplishments and accolades that they've brought to the district to make us all look good. When I look around, I am proud of this dedication because I know it's going to rub off on my kids. I don't see unreasonable people in this room. I see dedicated professionals fighting for their families but also for the future successes of this district including important issues like class size and teacher retention. I want us to succeed, and I want my teachers respected in our schools. And I also see patience in this room. But that patience can only last for so long. There's always a last straw, and people are getting upset. Uh, we're organizing. The teachers are clearly already organized, and parents are starting to organize. When you attack teachers, which is what you're doing, you attack their families, and you attack my family. Parents and the community are going to stand with the teachers. I'm asking you to do the right thing, pay the teachers what they've asked for, and please, something or other to blah, blah, blah. I can't read my own writing, but you know. You are the boss. You've got the decision-making power. You could settle this tomorrow. You've got the money. Why don't you give them the contract that they need? The fact that it's taken this long, President Stratton is frankly disgusting. And I think you need to stand up and you need to do something about it right now. On behalf of the parents that are organizing, get this contract done now. Thank you very much. Forgo the follow-up questions with Mr. French, and we'll move on to the next one here. Uh, next up is Aaron Rivers. Welcome. Thank you. 
I'm going to ask a favor. Could you bring the mic down a little bit and everybody can hear you? Great. Thank you. My name's Erin Rivers. I'm a teacher in this district, Shawnee Mission North. I raised two children who have gone through the Shawnee Mission School District and are a credit to what Shawnee Mission School District has been. When a house is built, special attention is paid to its foundation. If you do not pay attention to the foundation, the house will crumble. The teachers at Shawnee Mission are a very strong, dedicated, and caring foundation. The teachers at Shawnee Mission have been synonymous with a quality education. When I came to Shawnee Mission 15 years ago from a charter school in Kansas City, Missouri, I was astounded at the level of professionalism that I was greeted with. I was gratified at how many resources were made available to both the students and to the teachers. The level of professionalism made me stand back and really be a proud teacher in this district, sure that I would flourish, sure that my time here would be an amazing thing. I was hired in Shawnee Mission because the state of Kansas let some money go and I was hired to relieve teachers of teaching six classes. I was greeted warmly. <laughs> Since then, and as your SMSD communication recently stated, Kansas City had gone, th or Shawnee Mission had gone through some really tough times. We had to cut back. Teachers may do because that is what teachers do. We knew that staying late, carrying six classes, increasing the class load in our schools, in our classrooms was the right thing. We did it because we, that's what we do. We just knew that we needed to be there for our kids. Teachers are sensitive to the vagaries of state funding. We understand where funds are allocated, where they come in and where they go. We understand that our high administrators, higher level administrators are paid well because we want to attract top quality candidates. We understand that we pay extra for our bus company, not extra, 3% raise is what they got because we want that high level of quality. Your foundation needs work. We also deserve to be treated and respected as high quality parts of what Shawnee Mission has. We are the foundation. We need you to pay attention to that foundation. To explain to teachers that the district will begin to study how to move the workload from six to five with a strategic plan in the fall of 2021 feels disrespectful. The fact that under the current proposal, I will be making less money than last year or even the last few years is not what brought me here tonight. Pay attention to your foundation, SMSD. Reduce our class sizes. Lighten our workload, please. Thank you. Do you have any board members have any questions? Thank you for being here tonight. Appreciate it. Joe Moyer? Jay or Joe? There it is, Joe. It is Jay. It is Welcome. Jay. Hi. 
Jay Moyer. I uh, graduated from Shawnee Mission North High School two years ago. Um, okay, I want to tell you a personal story about teachers that I had while I was in Shawnee Mission. When I was in the fifth grade, I had a teacher who made a major impact on my life. I was one of those wild kids that says the first thing that comes out of their mouth. Um, and I was arguably, arguably loud and obnoxious. My previous teachers had always told me, try and have a filter. Um, then I had a teacher in the fifth grade who instead would pull me to the side and ask me what was on my mind. And she did this with me every single day. And in my fifth grade year, when I was like 10 or 9, I learned to talk about issues and deal with them. Then in middle school at Hawker Grove, I had a theater teacher that helped me navigate the death of my mother. As a 12-year-old going right into middle school, I had absolutely no idea how to deal with something like this. But my theater teacher was my support system. She taught me that grief isn't forever. And in one of the darkest times in my life, I grew and I thrived. In high school, I had multiple teachers who helped as I struggled with my sexuality. One of them sponsored the school's equality club and helped me educate myself on what it really meant to be gay and provided an incredibly safe space for me to learn about myself at such a critical time in my life. I attribute most of the work I do today to her. Another teacher helped me become a genuine person through my music education, teaching me what it meant to allow your true feelings to shine above superficial ones. Yet another teacher taught me that I'm not a bad student for being so insecure in my essay writing skills or a horrible person for not being able to finish my homework on time, but simply someone who had areas they could grow in. She helps me with college essays to this day. She is so supportive, and she's sitting in this room right now. I'm just one person, and look at how far I've come. I've come. It's because of teachers that, um, that I am where I am. It's because of teachers that I was able to struggle through the bumpy road of my teenage years. It is precisely because of teachers that people like me are able to have a future moving forward. But if you don't treat them fairly, they won't stick around. They'll find somewhere else to go. They'll go other places which will benefit from their extremely special skills and talents. And what will happen to our home? What will happen to the Shawnee Mission where any child can grow and thrive that makes our community great? I promise you it won't be the same. Please act now. When people show up like this, they aren't just asking for something. They require something. And you're only hurting yourself if you don't listen to them. However, do you know who will suffer the most? Future students who will never have the experiences I've had if change doesn't happen soon. These are our future lawyers, doctors, politicians, engineers, even teachers. What legacy do you, as the Shawnee Mission Board of Education, want to lead? Thank you. Thank you. And do any board members have any clarifying questions tonight? Thank you for being here. Next up, we invite Ariel Baird. Welcome. Thank you. Um, I am Ariel Baird. I am a teacher at Shawnee Mission North High School in special education. Um, I'm not really bringing up anything new, so I know that is part of the 
procedures. However, as a special education department, um, we really, I guess, haven't had the voice this evening. Um, I feel as though I work 80 hours a week. I work on the weekends. At least one weekend a month, I'm at the North Building because I need that quiet <laughs> for my kids, my husband, mostly. Um, and I need to just be where they are. I write critical information that's legally binding to Shawnee Mission North in contracts. Um, these special education children that I work with in high school, they have specific goals, needs, types of learning that I have to figure out the best way that they're going to learn to graduate high school, hopefully go on to college, if not find a job and independently live. But it's my job to make sure the legal jargon is correct, the data is correct, and that I do my best possible job I can. I work one-on-one -on -one with the kids, sometimes not leaving until 8 p.m. at night. Um, and that's okay with me. I'm okay with that. I'll, I'll deal with it. I have lupus. Um, luckily, it's not a, a, I don't have a lot of problems with it. However, when I started teaching five years ago, I was on five medications. Now I'm on eight. Uh, I have my husband's insurance, so benefits-wise, it's fine for me, not for others. However, preventative care, which means working five periods a day um, instead of the six out of seven, would be less stress. I could see how my students are doing instead of hoping that other teachers can tell me how they're doing or just looking at Skyward to see their quiz grades and saying, you're missing eight assignments. You are not meeting your goal. Um, I am a teacher to student. Relationships are important to me. I love my kids. And I love them so much, I will work those 80 hours a week. But should I have to? I busted my butt to do what I wanted to do in life and get a master's because I knew I would have to in order to pay back my loans for my first degree. Um, I will always be a teacher, no matter what, but I think I deserve to be treated fairly. I think everybody else here that has helped me along the way, and I think all of these kids sitting here deserve teachers to be happy, confident, and feel good about teaching when they walk into that classroom. Thank you. Thank you. Next is Robert Oliver. Welcome. Thank you. Um, my name is Robert Oliver. I teach at Shawnee Mission North, and um, I go by husband. I go by father. My students refer to me as an educator, counselor, mentor, most recently spiritual advisor, <laughs> um, and school dad, and I didn't know that was a thing. So first of all, I'd like to apologize to the students who know me. No, I'm not reading from this. I told you how to present, and I'm violating rule one. 
Um, my purpose for being here is to let everybody know that I was not an educator. I came from the corporate world. I came from healthcare. I came from communications. And I felt the need to do something more relevant. So I took the skills that I acquired and I brought them into the classroom to try to give my students a meaningful education. But in fact, I believe I may have worked with one of the board member students at some time. Um, but I want to address not what we've talked about. I want to address what has happened. We've kicked the education can down the road for what seems like decades. And here we are today. This is not a new problem. This is one that we keep pushing aside, but we've come to this. We have teaching vacancies that go unfilled, and yet we start talking about long-term solutions to places that we can't even provide teachers. May I suggest maybe looking outward because we can't agree on a contract, but maybe we could agree on this. If you'd like a long-term solution for recruiting and, and stabilizing the teaching staff, how about a simple offer? For the dedication that we've given to our students to ensure that they get to have a nice college education, how about for every teacher that serves 15 years in the state of Kansas, perhaps we ensure that their children go to a state school free of tuition? Feeling that? How about mobilizing a corporate group to have a discount on goods and services, groceries, etc.? Because if you're not going to give us the money, we should save some. Let's talk about teaching because I'm running long as I knew I would. You knew I would too. I'm at the last part of my career. And I've always felt like you should leave a place better than when you came. So this is to my warriors who made it with me after the recession. Thank you for being my colleagues. And for the new teachers, I hope that this becomes sustainable because I realize that my retirement is imminent, but it seems to be accelerating because I can't teach to the standard of teaching that I want to because I don't have the energy any longer. I'm running out of steam. We live in a world of trauma, neglect, violence, and for the love of Pete, we're killing people over a chicken sandwich. And that was not meant to be funny. That is the world we get, and that's the world these kids are seeing. We're better than that, though. So I would like to spend the last few moments not talking to you, but I challenge each of you, audience and board, I want you to reflect a world where that mentor, that teacher that you had that changed your life never existed. And I would like you to try to figure out what the trajectory of your life would have been in their absence, and you can cut me off at any time, but my wife's a yoga teacher, and she's taught me reflection is good for the soul. So let's all think about that for a moment. Thank you. Thank you. Any questions this evening? Thank you for being here. Meredith Sternberg. Welcome. Thank you. I'm Meredith Sternberg. I teach at Shawnee Mission East High School. 
A multitude of logical, mathematically sound, verifiable reasons have been presented to you why you should freely disseminate the more than $4.5 million you are choosing to misallocate for teacher relief. Your argument why you believe the funds should be reallocated has been analyzed and found to be without merit. I can only hope that you have equally reviewed our argument. There was very little questioning why the other millions were used the way they were, but half of a promise is better than no promise at all. I would like you to bring, to bring to you another viewpoint. This is my 14th year working in the district, and I have appeared at a handful of board meetings. This is the only one in which I have had a desire to speak, and I sincerely hope, given how shaky I am, it will be the last. I grew up in Kansas City, Missouri, and I attended private schools my entire life. I never intended to become a public school teacher. I had been warned off of it by others because I was informed it was overly political, poorly paid, and would put me at risk of being made to implement curricular choices ordered by those above me who had not been in the classroom for years. But I applied to this district, and specifically because of its reputation. When I was interviewed at Shawnee Mission East, I did so in the sincere hope that I would get to teach at a school I had actually always admired. My high school friends who attended the district impressed me, and I always suspected that while I was receiving a good education, there was every possibility they were getting a better one. Our class sizes and caliber of teachers were commensurate, but our opportunities were not. I jealously listened to their traditions and watched them go to excellent universities. During my first years of teaching, I proudly told others where I was and that I was honored to be a part of such a wonderful school district. I volunteered, and still do, to be on various committees and to run clubs. I believed in this. I believed in education. I was defensive during the lean years of the Great Recession and intense in my belief the community of educators was going to survive and emerge stronger. I encouraged those who asked me about this school district versus private school, given my group of friends, that was a big discussion, or other school districts that they were right to come to Shawnee Mission. The community, the educators, the students, the administrators, we were all working as one, and we still are, but we now do so under incredible strain. I'm now silent in these discussions, and I want to add my sister lives in this district. I do not weigh in with any frequency as I once did. I now wonder whether the viewpoints of those naysayers 14 years ago ultimately were correct. I listened, I listened in silence when I was told one novel a year suffices for a proper English education. I listened in silence when I was told, really, it's just the veteran teachers who are so upset about teaching six classes because they're old. I listened in silence when I was given vague promises of moving back to teaching five classes instead of six sometime in the coming years, and I do mean vague promises. I listened in silence for years when I was told this plan or that plan on which the board voted really was to be in place for the next decade, only to have it revised or completely abandoned literally months later. I listened in silence when the one program I believed in the most, International Baccalaureate, was under threat. And by the way, shout out to the six IB kids I teach who are sitting in the back now. I now listen to a groundswell of teachers who are suddenly too broken to care. I teach six classes despite the fact I know it hurts me and therefore my students to do so. I feel my love of teaching slipping away under a mound of stress and misinformation from this board. So now I break my silence publicly in the hope that you understand I do not expect the miracle of loaves and fishes. You have the power to do the right thing. Use it. Thank you. Thank you. Next is 
Valeria Osario Nava. Welcome. My name is Valeria Osorio. I'm a senior at Shawnee Mission North, and I reside in Shawnee. I am here because I'm chasing the American dream. I immigrated from Mexico when I was 13. One of the reasons I went home was for a better education that I could have ever obtained in the Mexico education system. I've been in the Shawnee Mission School District since March of 2015. Since I arrived, I have gotten all the resources I needed to succeed in all subjects while learning English. This wouldn't have been possible without the great teachers that Shawnee Mission School District has. I've been lucky to be a student of such highly professional, dedicated, driven, and compassionate people. This year, my teachers are working without a contract. I never really considered what that meant, but it seems to be disrespectful of something I value so highly, teachers. I grew up seeing how education was not valued, how teachers were unappreciated, and the result of this negative approach on education. To me, getting an education was not a priority, not because I wasn't determined enough, but because it wasn't expected. This year, I am seeing this, but in the American system. The Shawnee Mission School District is not valuing our teachers. Other teachers, all our teachers are asking for is to feel appreciated and valued. How can we make this possible? Let's give our teachers a raise. Let's hire more teachers. Let's not have overfilled classrooms. Let's use all the $9.6 million to invest in the teachers. Let's make our teachers teach no more than five classes. This way, they won't have extreme amounts of workload. The Shawnee Mission School District needs to respect the American education system. The Shawnee Mission School District needs to respect teachers. Thank you. Thank you. Any questions? Thank you. Next, we invite forward Rebecca Anthony. Welcome. Hello. Oh, gosh. Hi, my name is Rebecca Anthony, and I live in Lenexa. This is my 13th year teaching at Northwest, and I have a first grader at Mill Creek. Teachers use multiple variables to assess the status of students, grades, test scores, and then there's the non-quantifiable things like mood, personality, and changes to those. I would like to discuss both of these in an assessment of teachers today in Shawnee Mission. First, here are some numbers that once I saw, I could not stop thinking about. 235. That is the number of minutes per class per week for each section taught at the high school level. At five sections, that equals 1,175 minutes per, excuse me, per week and 42,300 minutes per school year. When a sixth section is added to that, the total minutes in front of a class increases by 8,460 minutes. So what, right? Well, if you continue to add those minutes up, you will see that for every five years a teacher has six sections, they will teach an entire extra years 
worth of minutes based on a five section load. Most secondary teachers have now been teaching six for at least five years, so they have taught an entire additional year relative to teachers in neighboring districts. I imagine the math is pretty much the same for middle school teachers, and it has been well established that class sizes in elementary need to be reduced. When you account for workload and lack of meaningful raises year after year, is it any wonder that teachers have reached their limit and want a fair contract? This leads me to the non-quantifiable variables. When we notice a change in a student's mood or behavior, we alert parents, counselors, and try to help them. Well, I have noticed a change in my colleagues and they need help. I have watched year after year as my friends, my fellow professionals, have lost the joy they once had for this job. They are still effective teachers and they are doing right by their students, but they are not the same. They are overworked and burnt out. Morale among teachers is so low and that does not seem to bother anyone with the power to affect change, despite the fact that it impacts every student in this district. This is difficult to watch as I want my colleagues and friends to be happy. And frankly, I worry about my first grader. As a parent, I want her teachers to love their jobs, to look forward to each year, and to feel valued for the amazing professionals they are. I want my daughter's teachers and all the teachers in this district to want to pour their energy into Shawnee Mission and its students, rather than into looking for jobs elsewhere. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Next, we invite Ruth Ann Unruh. Welcome. Thank you. I'm here as a veteran. <laughs> Not of the battlefield, but of the classroom. I taught for 20 years at Santa Fe Trail Elementary School from 1985 to 2005. I continued to lead a garden club there every month for third through sixth graders. My father was Dr. Bill Unruh, who was a teacher at Shawnee Mission North High School and then became the first principal at Hawker Grove Junior High. My mother taught at Crestview Elementary School for 20 years. So I've had a long relationship with Shawnee Mission School District. I attended Hawker Grove. Shawnee Mission North, and I sent four children through the Shawnee Mission School District, and I continued to volunteer here. I had the privilege of working with outstanding teachers at Santa Fe Trail. Each one cared for each of their students. We need to make sure that teachers today are respected and provided for. Teachers are the most valuable part of the educational system. Socrates believed that education happened when one teacher and one student discussed a subject. Today, the teacher-pupil ratio is not quite that good. <laughs> Teachers want to teach. Let's make sure they can. I've always been proud to be a part of Shawnee Mission District. I hope that I can continue to feel that way. Teachers need a contract now. Thank you.
Next, we invite forward Erica Jackson. Welcome. Hello, my name is Erica Jackson and I teach ninth grade English at Shawnee Mission East. Recently, the administration at my school asked the staff, what are we doing to close the achievement gap? I immediately had a list because I and the many teachers behind me and in this district are constantly thinking about the ways we can support students who may be struggling, are at risk, or are missing necessary skills. We meet with students before and after school, keep in contact with parents, design engaging lessons, scaffold for a variety of levels, meet in PLCs, build relationships, the list goes on and on. We lie awake at night to think of creative and effective ways to close the achievement gap. But I am here tonight to ask you, the school board, what are you doing to help us, the teachers, close the achievement gap? We work daily to address the needs of our students, but our impact is limited when the challenges before us are so great. You have the power in many ways to increase the impact that teachers are able to make. But tonight, I want to focus on just two. Secondary teachers must move from teaching six content classes back to teaching five. And class sizes across the district must be reduced. I'm in a unique position to talk about moving from six back to five as I am fortunate this year to teach five English classes, have supervision, and a plan. I can't even begin to describe to you how different my year has been. Not only do I have fewer students, which allows me to give more feedback in a timely manner, contact more parents, meet with more of my students outside of class, but I have more stamina for my classes at the end of the day, allowing me to give the same energy and enthusiasm to my seventh hour as to my first. Overall, I am a better teacher. I'm more effective, and my efforts to close the achievement gap have a greater impact. While I have fewer classes this year, the number of students in each class has risen to nearly 30, except one, which is 22. The students in this class of 22 get more one-on-one -on -one attention, which is absolutely necessary when teaching writing. They are more comfortable with their classmates and more willing to speak up and participate, and I am, I am able to get to know each student better and build stronger relationships. Overall, these students are receiving a better education in a class of 22 than in a class of 30. My efforts to close the achievement gap have a greater impact because of the smaller class size. I know these improvements would require hiring more teachers. I also know you sent out an email with a breakdown of how the money from the state would be allocated. This budget does not include money for moving back to five content classes or reducing class size across the district. But just as we, the teachers, lie awake at night thinking of creative and effective ways to support our students, I am asking you to do the same with our budget. Be creative. Think outside the box. Find the money that will allow secondary teachers to teach five content classes and reduce class sizes across the district and help us have a greater impact in closing the achievement gap. Thank you. Any board members with questions? Thank you for being here. Next, Kristen Anderson. Hi, thank you. Good evening. Um, my name is Kristen Anderson, and I teach, I've been a teacher at Shawnee Mission East for 19 years. 
I, like so many others, have been so proud to tell anyone that I teach for the Shawnee Mission School District. But my opinion is changing. However, I wanted to explain a little bit about where I'm coming from. For years, we teachers were under the Hinson regime. But most of you were not part of that. He increased high school teacher workload from six to five. <laughs> Sorry, five to six. Five to six, yes. In short, Hinson made every teacher less effective, and as a result, your students lost. But then Hinson left, and Hope returned to the district. And we were patient for the first year, because it does take time to learn about a new school district. But we were still hopeful. But now, we are in year two. And we are rapidly losing hope, Dr. Fulton. When we hear that looking into the feasibility of moving from six to five is on the agenda in 2021, we are rapidly losing faith in the Shawnee Mission School District. When we hear that Shawnee Mission School District has $9.4 million and is only willing to spend 4.5, not even half of that money on teachers, we, and teachers and class size reduction, we are losing hope. And once we believe and realize that this district, excuse me, that this district, this school board, and you, Dr. Fulton, don't prioritize or value teachers. We will never be able to unsee that. This is your chance. This is your chance to fix the damage, to begin to fix the damage that Henson did. It was not your fault. But you have the chance to save the school district. And if you believe that the remedy is in pretty district office buildings or a pretty pool, you are mistaken. The remedy, the remedy is looking at you right here tonight. The remedy, the remedy to strengthen the school empower our students, and ensure that Shawnee Mission School District is a wonderful school district in the years to come, is to value your teachers. To value the very people who work with these students every single day, period. But we are rapidly losing hope. Thank you. Thank you. Any questions? Thank you. Thank you for being here. Next, we invite Christina Middleton. Welcome. Hi there. Um, hello. Thank you for your time tonight, but more importantly, awesome turnout from these teachers. Um, I'm a parent. I'm a parent of 15 years, not a teacher. Um, I have a seventh grader at Westridge, and I have a sophomore at Shawnee Mission West. <laughs> um, 
first of all, I just want to say that my kids' teachers have been phenomenal. Um, my third grade's my son's third grade teacher, I was very impressed with her ability to differentiate um, spelling lists and lesson plans and reading instruction and math instruction. That was seven, eight years ago um, in 2013. Um, what, in 2012? In 2013, my fourth graders, or my son's fourth grade teacher, um, worked with me nightly, weekly, monthly, trying to figure out well, what was going on with my kid, because he struggled. He struggled a lot, but he was really intelligent. We found out he was dyslexic. Um, that fourth grade teacher worked with me a lot to learn about dyslexia, and I kept going to parent information nights to learn about it myself, and she was always there on her free time. Um, my son's reading specialist showed up one summer and said, I want to help your kiddo and I'm going to tutor him over the summer for free. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, teachers probably wouldn't do that anymore because they don't have time. Um, I want to fast forward to today. Oh, wait, wait I forgot. I forgot fifth and sixth grade teachers. They were always in constant communication with me. And my son earned an IEP. And his IEP team, as a sixth grader, they gave him a MacBook when all the other elementary kids had iPads. Could you imagine the learning curve that that teacher had to deal with trying to teach my kid on a MacBook while everybody else was on um, an iPad? But she did. And she worked creatively, thinking outside of the box to make sure that my son's needs were met because it prepared him to be a strong middle schooler and an excelling senior sophomore and he's now coming here to the CAW every day for engineering as a struggling dyslexic. So fast forward five years, I'm now an advocate for dyslexia. You've seen me here before. I've been to Topeka, I've lobbied there, I've been on the Kansas Department of Education. I support parents in understanding how to support their struggling kids who are extremely intelligent but don't know how to get them the support they need. And guess what I hear over and over again? Parents are frustrated. I'm frustrated. These teachers need the support in the classrooms to meet the needs of our kids. The data is not being analyzed to the point to where kids are being missed. My, my, one of my good old friends, her seventh grade daughter, just was diagnosed dyslexia. She was never caught. Um, and it's not because of the teacher's lack of trying. It's because they don't have the time. They don't have the time to analyze the data because they're working six sections instead of five. I am so disheartened hearing from these teachers here tonight. It's just, it's it's, I don't understand how you can even look at me with a straight face. Um, I recently, I'm Facebook friends with a lot of my teacher friend, with my students, past teachers because they're phenomenal. And one of them recently put out an outcry begging for support in her classroom for volunteers to come in and help support her kids with reading instruction. So I immediately asked, well, what kind of reading instruction and how often? It, she wanted it every day because she knows that the expectation she has for her students are up here. And what she's capable of delivering is down here. So she's asking for grandparents and parents to come in and help meet the kids' needs. So what I'm asking you is if that teacher is willing to put her students' needs first, how can you when you put the teacher's needs last? Thank you. Thank you. Any board members? Next is Kelly Grist. Hi, I can see. I was a little worried about the height of the podium. <laughs> um, hi, 
I'm a little nervous, sorry. Um, my name's Kelly Grist, I'm from Lenexa, Kansas. I have one kiddo at Shiny Mission Northwest and one at Mill Creek Elementary. I am just here as a parent, a parent who supports the teachers and knows that you guys do too, but is begging you to listen. Um, so I don't wanna to take too much of your time because everyone says these amazing things and I'm behind them 100%. Um, so I wanted to make this brief and I kept thinking, get to the point, Grist. What do you wanna say? But there's so many things I could talk about and so many things came to my mind. I could talk about how I went to public schools. I could talk about how my mom was a teacher at public schools. I could talk about how much my life, my kids' lives have been changed by public schools. I could talk about all of that. I could even talk about how I'm kind of troubled by the fact that you have to use the state infusion of cash to pay the utility bills. There's just so many things I could talk about, but being a writer, I wanted to, I kept thinking about words and definitions and their meanings. So just to like recap why I was thinking about this. Um, from the Gannon decision, Luke Gannon himself said after they won the suit, but it doesn't translate into, but if it doesn't translate into more money into the classrooms, we have not won. Amen. So I keep thinking, what's a classroom, right? Maybe my definition is different than his. So uh, is it the desks? Is it the children? Is it the curriculum? Or is it the lights? I don't really think it's any of those things. A room is just a room until you put people in it. This is a room. Right now it's a boardroom because you're sitting there. But a classroom is just a room until you put a teacher into it. I guess I'm hoping, I know you guys agree, that the most important resource in each classroom is the teacher. So if we do not treat the district's most important resource as they should be, we will ultimately be doing the students a disservice. When teachers lose, we all lose. So that's it. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Next, we invite Nikki Fosberg. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you. Um, my name is Nikki Fosberg. I stand before you not as a teacher, but as an extremely dedicated and thankful parent to you all. They have changed my life because they have changed my kids' lives. I have a um, one that is in Mill Creek Elementary, and I have one that is in Shawnee Mission Northwest. I'm nervous, sorry. As I stand here, my children are sitting in a library conference room with an SMSD teacher. Every week, this lovely lady meets us for an hour to tutor my two kids. While there is no doubt she loves what she does and has a passion for her kids, 
I highly doubt she's there because she wants to lengthen her already long day, taking time away from her own family to tutor mine. While she is amazing to us, I am sure she would rather be home on a Monday night with her own kids enjoying her own time. But instead, she is working after an already long day in an often thankless job. Because as many teachers do, she has a side hustle. She has to. We live in a world where we pay millions to people who entertain us, but peanuts to those that shape our children, shape our future. Shame on us. Shame on you. <clears throat> we provide lip service on how important our teachers and staff are to us. However, our actions say something completely opposite. These teachers are not a group of unionized thugs demanding the unimaginable. <laughs> they are experienced, compassionate, selfless heroes. They are asking that we give them a very small portion of what they deserve, what they work for. We truly have the best teachers around, and I beg of the board to do right by them. I fear that not doing so will cause them to leave, ensuring that we will miss out on the amazingness that is the rich history of Shawnee Mission teaching. Our experienced educators will surely get tired of getting paid so little and not think it's worth it. They will be fed up. We need them. Our kids need them. I am not willing to risk that, and I hope you are not either. Do what is right before we lose what makes us the best, and that's them. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Next is Laurel Anderson. Welcome. And now for something completely different. Let's talk about early childhood, because we exist. Um, um, I'm mostly here to phrase, to invite you guys to come and see what's going on in our school. Um, we have, as of Friday when I wrote this up, which I'm already not following. You can read your copy later. Um, I put some effort in it, maybe. Um, as of Friday, we had 180 young learners in our school, which is in the Broadmoor Middle School, and uh, three and four-year-olds are about, they're about yay tall. It's a little struggle, but we're adapting because we love our children. That's what we're here for. Um, today, I think we added two more kids. 70% of our class is on an IEP, our building. 70% of our 180 kids have needs that we are there to help them meet. They're also brand new to school. They don't know how to come to school and sit and listen and wait patiently while somebody else talks. Um, we're very busy, and it's amazing. I wouldn't trade this job for anything. Um, I would love for you guys to come and visit. And I don't mean a quick visit where you come in and walk down the halls with the administrator and go, oh, look, a classroom. I want... Thank you, I'm terrified standing up here. I'm not a public speaker. Um, I, somebody previously, I think it was the very first speaker, said come spend a day. Come into our classes. We have 10 teachers. Um, come and spend a morning, an afternoon, both. Come and hang out with our kids. Come and play in the kitchen with them. That's how we learn. 
Our kids learn through playing. I wrote it down, it's funny. They'll make a hamburger, strawberry, carrot, and bologna milkshake and expect you to drink it and think it's amazing. The food's plastic, you're not at any real risk except for germs. But you should see their faces when you drink it and go, this is amazing, make me more. There's so much fun, come and see what we're doing. Also, the playground, oh my gosh, we have a playground for us now, it's amazing. Um, come watch the kids climb up the slide, climb up the climbing wall. It's a little taller than I would like, but we have it and it's great. Help the kids up, they go down the slide. Their faces light up, everything is amazing. It makes everything better. Then there's uh, the bathroom situation that's fun. Um, I won't make you come in when it's smelly. You can come in right away before it gets kind of full. Uh, picture 10 to 12 little boys in one bathroom with two toilets and two urinals that they think they stand in. Um, they don't know the function yet. They stand in it with their backs to it. It's pretty adorable. Um, but these, these 10 to 12 boys, most of them... <laughs> I would say half to most of these boys, they're in diapers. They need help. That's, that's a lot to get through. Uh, the bathrooms are not large. It's hard for adults to function with, you know, munchkins running around at knee level trying to run out of the bathroom because they would rather go back to recess. I, come and play with us. We learn. We have fun. We sit at carpet. We read stories. We learn the alphabet. We learn to sit without punching our friend in the face because they're within three feet. This is the building block of everyone. They start with us, and we teach them the basic skills of elementary school. Um, oops, out of time. I'm going to say it anyway. Um, I don't have to stand here to tell you how important early childhood is. You all know the research. You're all intelligent people. Um, come and see. They're, what we do at age three affects the entire school career for these kids. And I wrote this down. I thought it was kind of impressive. The early childhood program, early intervention for students with special needs is the most important thing we can do to help them succeed for their entire life. The early childhood program needs the active support of the district to succeed, and then our successes can help our students for not just the next 12 to 15 years, but beyond for all of their life. And I say this as a sibling of two brothers with special needs. So please, come see what we're doing. We are fun. We don't bite. The kids might, but we don't. Thank you. Any questions from board members? Thank you for being here. Uh, next, we invite Victoria Savage. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Shout out to my early childhood educator ladies. You guys were awesome. Love you guys. Good evening. Uh, my name is Victoria Savage. I live in Overland Park. I have three boys in the Shawnee Mission School District, two at Trailwood and one at Shawnee Mission South currently. I stand before you tonight as an early childhood educator for 20 years, a mom of three Shawnee Mission School District students, but most of all, as an ally to every teacher, para, secretary, nurse, custodian, food service employee in this district. Now, this is gonna be a little bit different tonight. And as a former pre-K teacher, I'd love to read you a little poem about what it's like to be a teacher in today's world and how it's becoming harder to prove to society that teachers don't just make a living, they make a difference. 
It's called, I'm a Teacher, I Make Lives. I didn't write it, it's by Michael Josephson. The topic of education came up and a business executive proclaimed the problem is with teachers after all, those who can do and those who can't teach. A man next to him said, I'm a teacher, you don't know what you're talking about. So the businessman leaned into the teacher and said, be honest, what do you make? The teacher's face got red and he said, I suppose you're thinking of money. I don't earn much, but let me tell you what I make. I make my children read, think, write, wonder, and talk about important things, such as the world and their role in it. I make them try things they, um, they think they can't do, work harder than what they want to, and accomplish more than what they thought possible. And whenever they do their best, I make them feel proud, capable, and worthy. I make them understand that the quality of their life will be determined by their choices, and I make them take responsibility for their actions. I make them appreciate the importance of integrity and honor in the world that too often shows little regard for either. I make them respect themselves and teach others with respect. I make them feel proud and grateful to live in America where people are entitled to be treated fairly and with respect and are judged by their accomplishments and character, not by their color creed or the size of their bank account. Most of all, I make a difference. I don't just don't make a living. I make lives. Now, I'd like to finish tonight with another poem. It's by an unknown author, and it's called Thanks. But this is directly towards all the educators out here that are wearing red in solidarity. Now, just so you know, dear teacher friends, you're not alone, and that the mental focus you give to your students is noticed. There are many other things that separate you as teachers from any other profession, but I think the thing that floors me the most is the sheer amount of mental time and mental energy you give each and every day to our children. Here we go. If you didn't hear this from anyone today, and even if you did, thanks for all you did today in your classroom. Thanks for making a million little split-second decisions for the benefits of your students. Thanks for putting your own needs on hold and keeping them the focus of your day. Thanks for planning for them long before today even got rolling. Thanks for changing those plans because they didn't fit someone who needed a little extra. Thanks for smiling, laughing with them, and reassuring their efforts, trials, and mistakes. Thanks for placing your hand on a shoulder that was exactly what someone needed. Thanks for getting down on the physical level of your students because it matters. Thanks for thinking of a new way to reach someone who wasn't giddy yet. You matter. Yes, you matter. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Next, we invite Lisa Feingold. Welcome. Hi. Hello. Okay. Good evening. Thank you, President Stratton, for the board's email to our community, which included a brief history lesson as to how we have arrived at this failure as a district to value our teachers. Like most history lessons, Parallel perspectives have been omitted. Most of us recall the state's Republican leadership and their response to the 2008 recession, including the tax cuts and the Brownbackian pillaging, which caused the founding woes imparting on SMSD and every public school district in Kansas. In an attempt to restore funding, districts initiated a lawsuit and won but the state failed to make good on their word, so districts filed a second lawsuit compelling the state to prioritize funding to educate our children. 
One SMSD board member stated in 2018 that the Supreme Court was very strong in its wording in the last judgment saying it would not be complicit in leaving a generation behind. The Supreme Court is certainly at its breaking point with the legislature's attempts to shirk its responsibilities. So are we. We are at our breaking point. We are at our breaking point with this board's attempt to shirk its responsibility. It is not accurate for this board to place all the blame of SMSD's financial shortcomings on the state. This board sets the budget and you determine the allocation of resources. Because SMSD is filled with talented, caring, committed staff, many of us were late to see the reality behind the curtain. You've been pulling that curtain back with every vote that allocates scarce resources away from the classroom. We see you prioritizing what you see fit, spending money on technology initiatives, erecting showpieces versus improving building safety and efficiency, approving funds for expensive signs favoring friends in Lenexa, and purchasing walkthrough software benefiting administrators out of Title IIA funds. And you are planning on putting forth another bond issue, asking us to trust your judgment to allocate funds in our best interests. The board's recent email brought the curtain down. You have already received numerous comments from teachers, parents, grandparents, and students conveying the urgent need to prioritize students and teachers. I'm grateful that you recognize you all sit there in this beautiful building you built with our money to serve at our discretion because I am delivering a message from members of this SMSD community whose voices are not valuable enough to be chosen to serve on site councils, steering committees, and action groups who've been unable to participate in school events or public comment for many reasons, fixed work schedules, lack of confidence, language or transportation barriers, and fear, fear of losing our jobs, of being good enough, of retaliation. But we have become engaged and there are more of us than there are of you. And we're not getting paid to be here either. I had to get my work shift covered tonight to be here, so I'm actually losing money. Here's our message. Our whole household budgets and operating expenses are increasing without additional resources, and we rework our budgets to ensure the most important and foundational needs are met. You must do the same. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all for being here. We appreciate those comments. We take them very seriously. I don't think uh, I can hesitate to say this. I will speak on behalf of the board and say, we want to get this over right now. We are bound by law. The next step is fact finding. We look forward to, we look, please, please. We look forward to getting fact-finding done immediately so that the state law allows us to go back to the table. We will be pushing to get fact-finding done as soon as possible. Once, once we do that, then we can sit down at the table and then the board can take action. We look forward to following state law. We look forward to doing fact-finding, preferably at the end of this month, if possible. That's, that's what the state law says. Thank you again for being here. We appreciate the process. I'll turn to Dr. Fulton with any other follow-up comments on tonight's comments. Yeah, I just appreciate the comments. I appreciate everybody's great work. Thank you. All right. And with that,
All right, next item up is our update on the uh, ACT. And I'll turn to Dr. Fulton to provide us an update on the ACT. Um, the board meeting does continue. I ask that all conversations please move outside if possible. Thank you very much. I want to uh, welcome Dr. Michelle Hubbard, Assistant Superintendent for Leadership and Learning. She'll be uh, giving the introduction to the presentation and then we'll give you an overview of the ACT and some of the variables that impact that. Thanks for the opportunity to um, share our annual ACT results. As you know, um, Shawnee Mission has a long-standing history of great tradition with the ACT. And um, as you also know, the Kansas legislature passed where now currently all juniors can uh, take the ACT free of charge in the Shawnee Mission School District and the state of Kansas. Uh, but I want to reiterate before we start this set of data does not include all students taking it. Our current seniors are the first group that we will see um, next year's data will, will uh, represent all of them. But for now, we are still, uh, we still have great participation numbers, which Dan's gonna share with you. But at this point, I would like to introduce Dr. Dan Grumman to uh, share the results. Good evening. Um, thinking about ACT scores and with, in relation to the strategic plan, one of our goals, of course, is that every student will develop and utilize personal resilience while mastering essential competencies and lead to college and career readiness. And the ACT is one of those measures that, that we, we can use to um, ascertain our, our, our student readiness for um, college and career, mostly college, but also college and career readiness because the ACT is also predictive of, of some of those other uh, 21st century skills. So we're asking the question of how is our Shine Mission team doing in ensuring that every child is ready for um, college and career ready based on their ac academic evidence. Um, as we look at each of the graduating cohort reports, um, when a student takes the ACT, they could, they, whether they take it as a sophomore, junior, or senior, student fills out a form and, and sort of declares when their graduation year is. And when the student self-reports, that's the cohort they, 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 they land in. Um, so as you're looking at ACT results over time, these average scores reflect if it's the last ACT test that a student took prior to uh, graduate, graduating, and, and these are the representative of the graduation cohorts. So this is a 20-year trend of ACT composite averages for the district, for the state of Kansas, and for the nation. And as you can see, all three of these lines have been somewhat parallel over the, those past 20 years um, with, with Shawnee Mission students outperforming uh, average students across the state and then, and, then, and, then, and then, of course, across the nation. The next slide is, is sort of a zoomed-in version showing the last six years of those averages so you can get a little bit better idea of some, some of the ups and downs. Um, and we'll see, starting thinking about the, the, the state-funded uh, ACT, last year the state provided, of course, the opportunity for any junior and then any senior who had not yet taken the ACT. So there's approximately 85 seniors in this class of 2019 average. Um, so so they are starting to, to matriculate into the, into the average group here. But, but again, you can see the, 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 um, um, the, the trends over the, the last six years. If we start thinking about ACT participation, in this case it's participation by race and ethnicity, um, I'll pause on this for just a minute and try to describe what, what you're seeing. On the left-hand side 
is the, is the racial makeup of the class of 2019 graduates, okay? The entire graduating class. On the right-hand side is the racial makeup of the class of 2019 ACT participants. And just from a, from a bird's eye view, um, the, the, the graphs look the same, and, and they're, you know, as, as you think about the, um, whether or not the uh, ACT population, participant population is proportional to um, the graduating class, it, it is. And, and also there's a little statistic at the bottom, it represents about 68% of, of the graduating class that have an ACT score in, in the file. But this was the last year that they don't all take it, is that correct? Right, and well, with the class of 2020, I'll, I'll preface this with they're not necessarily, we're not requiring students to take it, but we do expect to see a higher participation rate with the, the, with the free opportunity. We have counselors and administrators now going after students to encourage them to participate because it's, it's free. So why, you know, why the, the, some of those barriers are, are not there. It's administered during the school day. Um, things like that. So, okay. so we do expect that participation rate to, to increase in, in next year's cohort. Thank you. Another way to look at the ACT data is, is uh, looking at the results by race and ethnicity. This is a, um, uh, you can see the average um, composite score for district students by race, race and ethnicity and the uh, comparison is with the national score report from 2018. The nation, the national report for 2019 is not yet available, or at least at the time that, that uh, this graph was created. I did, haven't seen it on the website lately, but the national results are still relatively stable. Um, as you can see, uh, with the uh, racial and ethnic comparisons, Shawnee Mission students on average uh, generally outperform students on, on average across the nation, but there are some, there are some gaps. Um, in, in the performance across each of these groups. Uh, last year, um, going back here too, just so I want to be clear, when students fill out their registration form, they self-report their race and ethnicity. They do not self-report or do any kind of reporting on whether, for example, they're re receiving free or reduced lunch, or whether or not they're an English language learner, or whether or not they um, have a disability. Um, but um, So we, we did have some interest in looking at um, how those the, the, the results um, uh, fall out if we were looking at each of those categories. So uh, one of the things we had to do with the data file is match up the, the, the graduate data with what we had in Skyward um, with that graduating class. So the reason that you have a little bit of difference here is I've, I've taken that same comparison and if we were to uh, show um, average scores by uh, students who were receiving free or reduced lunch, English language learners, which we had approximately 75 English language learners participate in the ACT with that, uh, in that cohort. And we have some students with disabilities and those are the average scores for each of those groups. Another perspective that we can look at with when, we, when we're talking about ACT scores that's probably a little more informative uh, than the average scores is, is whether or not students are on track for those entry level college, um, college courses. So. For example, ACT has, has done uh, various studies on, on uh, the, the, the match between uh, each of their four content courses and some of those entry-level courses. For example, math is, is tied in with uh, success in college algebra, English with, uh, with the Composition one class, those freshman-level courses, and whether or not students are, would, are um, likely to be successful on each of those courses. Now, the, 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 the threshold is, is a little bit different by each subject. For example, the college readiness benchmark for English is a score of 18 or higher. 
Um, whereas uh, the college, re college readiness benchmark for science is a, is a score of 23 or higher. And these are scores that are predictive of whether or not students would be successful in those entry-level courses. So if we look at the, 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 the scores from that perspective, um, Shawnee, among Shawnee Mission students, we had about 79% of our ACT test takers uh, were on track for uh, Composition 1 in English. In other words, those are students who had a score of 18 or higher in English. Um, in math, 55%, reading 63, and so on. 40% of our students met all four of those college readiness benchmarks. Um, and in each of those cases, uh, the percentage of, of, of readiness among Shawnee Mission students was... Um, uh, substantially higher than, than those average uh, than those percentages statewide. Another way we can look at the the college readiness benchmarks is to look at how many students met how many benchmarks. So, for example, among the ACT test takers, um, 83 percent of our test takers met at least one college readiness benchmark. Um, 40 percent met all four, but 83 percent met at least one. As we're also thinking about um, college and career readiness, we, we also kind of have to examine some of the other root causes or, or, or relationships between, for example, course taking and, and whether or not students are on track. So one of the, uh, one of the areas that we, we, we chose to look at is, is the relationship between certain courses taken at Shawnee Mission, for example, Algebra 2, as you've, sort of, you've heard sort of explicitly mentioned in, in some of the strategic planning um, conversations that Dr. Fulton has talked about. Um, but then we also looked at um, uh, 11th grade English. And, and one of the questions we, we, we wanted to ask is, is there a relationship or what is the relationship between course grades and the likelihood for meeting those benchmarks? Is, and we, we hope there is some sort of relationship between those. So when we break that down, if you look at the students who um, participated in Algebra 2, and then whether or not, so the first graph, if we look at uh, these are students that participate in Algebra 2, and if they earned an A, B, or C, 65% of those students met the college readiness benchmark in math. If they earned an A, that percentage was 85%. B, 69%. C is 47%. If you look on the far right-hand side, those generally represent students who did not take Algebra 2, and, and their uh, likelihood for meeting that college readiness benchmark in mathematics is much far lower than the students who, are, who took Algebra 2 and were successful. Uh, you see a similar pattern in, in science, um, where, where students who are earning an, an Algebra 2, an A, or an A, B, or C was, uh, was higher than, than students who, who, who were not. Um, so, so taking Algebra 2 and, and being su successful in the course is, 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 uh, is, a, is an important predictor of that, of that readiness factor. Um, and Algebra 2, as we look at that, includes both the regular and honors courses. We did, did combining with those. Um, we see a similar pattern with if we think about 11th grade English, and, and we looked at regular honors and the, the AP and IB courses as well. And you see a similar pattern of student success in those courses and their relationship with, with uh, students being on track for those college readiness benchmarks. Um, and then, again, if we start thinking about those pieces all together. Um, if students take that core, rigorous core college preparatory um, um, uh, plan of study, which is four years of English, three or more years of math, social studies, natural sciences, and we think about average scores of students who are taking the core more versus less than core, um, those average scores are there. In other words, the, 
the core curriculum is an important aspect to success on the, on, on, on the ACT assessment. However, um, it also means that we, we have to make sure that we're also meeting the needs of all of our diverse learners. Um, so as we're looking at just the core, we also have to think about how, how this breaks down among each of our student groups, particularly our, our racial and ethnic groups and across our, our students with, uh, with free or reduced lunch. So if we take some of that same data, and we're looking at Algebra 2, and we're thinking back to that Algebra 2 data and digging a little bit deeper, um, if I take just the first line in this graph, if I'm an, if, if I, as an Asian student who completed Algebra 2 and earned a, an A, B, or C in the course, 75% uh, of those students met the college readiness benchmark in math. A black or African-American student who earned an A, B, or C in Algebra 2, 23% of those students met the college readiness benchmark in math. Now, looking, comparing the left to the right, getting the A, B, or C in Algebra 2 is much more advantageous than, than, than getting a C or, or getting below a C. But we do have some disparities among, these, among some student groups. If we look on the right-hand side, if you were a student who um, were receiving free or reduced lunch uh, and earned an A, B, or C in Algebra 2, 37% met the college readiness benchmark in math. Uh, that same group of students, if they earned, a, earned a, a below a C, 18%. So again, the, the, it, it does um, it makes a, uh, make us think about what other things besides the core curriculum, right, um, that we should be looking at. There is definitely some overlap between our, our students on free reduced lunch and each of the racial and ethnic groups. It's not evenly distributed, and that's the graph on the, on the, on the uh, corner on the bottom. For example, of the uh, black or African-American uh, group of students, 49% of that group were also uh, receiving free or reduced lunch. Hispanic was 50% free or reduced lunch. Uh, uh, multiracial, 26%. And a group of, of white students are 7%. So there's a, a substantial overlap between our uh, free and reduced lunch population and our black and Hispanic groups uh, as compared to some of the other groups in, the, in, the, in this graph. Took the same, actually, another, another look at the Algebra 2 data because a person wonders, well, is it, is it just the Algebra 2? What, are, what might be some of the other factors that we could be looking at with this data? So, um, so I took that same Algebra 2 group and I asked myself, well, if we were to look at before the students took Algebra 2. So, for example, these students take the NWA MAP assessment in the fall of their ninth grade year. So that when they walk in the high school before they, and, and with that MAP assessment, they, there is a predictor of whether or not students are on track to meet the college readiness benchmark for ACT. So um, there is, you can see on the, on the left-hand graph, it shows uh, looking at these same groups, these, these same students, um, for example, 70% of the Asian students who eventually took Algebra 2 and eventually the ACT, those students were on track to meeting the college readiness benchmark and 75% met um, and, and also earned an A, B, or C. Among our black or African-American students, 39% were on track, 23% met. Um, so there were some, um, uh, some disparities or some differences in their, whether or not they were on track already walking in as, as, as a freshman in here that um, taking Algebra 2 uh, didn't close that gap. Um, in there, so there's there's other factors that that, that, that we that we uh, that we need to be looking at uh, along the way. 
I took a similar picture of the ninth grade English scores, and, we, and, and I didn't go as deep into this data as I did with the Algebra 2 data, but you can see some similar patterns in, 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 the, in the disparity. Um, again, if you, if you do well in the class, earn an A, B, or C, uh, then your likelihood of meeting the college readiness benchmark, in this case in English, is much stronger than if you're um, perhaps not as successful in the course. Um, but there are some there are some disparities or some differences that, that we need to take into consideration. Um, looking at the statewide data, and I will say this, and this is this also matches the nas national trend as well. Um, when when you're thinking about students who are completing the the core curriculum um, compared to the the students who who complete less than core, um, clearly completing core is 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 much more advantageous. Um, but there's other factors that 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 um, that that we could be looking at, um, and and that we are looking at with as we're thinking about the strategic plan and, and and addressing the needs of 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 the whole student. For example, the social and emotional learning aspects, the um, um, building relationships with students, having the, the um, um, uh, the facilities facilities in place that engage all students and and those sorts of things. So some recommendations that, that come to mind as we're thinking about this data is the first thing is, is that we need to share it. We need to make sure that there's an awareness that, that there, there, are, there are certain components that, are, that help students to be successful for college and career, but, um, but really the, 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 we have to always look at it from a multifaceted perspective. Um, we need to examine student access to ACT workshops and tutorials and, and those sorts of things, particularly in the context of knowing that there is a state-funded ACT available. So we know that a very substantial proportion of, of the ACT, of, of the students taking the ACT are going to take it in February, or if there's a snow day, April, of, of their junior year. So, um, so that helps in some ways knowing, being able to predict now where most students are, are, are likely to take the assessment. Um, we need to be looking at alignment of competencies with the ACT, with their curriculum, um, make sure that students are um, uh, receiving instruction with the right level of text complexity and vocabulary associated with the assessment, and so on. Um, and of course, there are some you know, implicit biases when we th start thinking about standardized testing and, and, uh, and students' experience with those assessments and um, for example we know the ACT is a timed test so you're not just looking at whether or not students are um, going to get a correct answer but can they get a correct answer quickly um, so so we have to uh, kind of look at um, you know what what might help students in those areas as well and we'll stand for questions thank you <coughs> questions from board members Mrs. Goodburn I'm just curious hello okay mm -hmm. sorry um, do they ever do any, do students have to self-report or anything, if, what kind of prep that they've had for the class, like hours that they studied or classes that they've taken in high school to prep for the ACT or tutors that they've had and they paid tutors maybe? Um, the they don't. Students aren't necessarily reporting on that level of detail. Course course completion, is, they do report on, um, but not necessarily whether or not they've received um, Tutoring, and you know, there is some evidence or some study that some of the the, the test prep type activities, like how to take the assessment, that'll give students a, a little bit of a bump, uh, a point or two. Um, some of that is you have to wonder, you know, you, if you take the test once, things happen in between. For example, more instruction and test prep. 
and then you know students uh, two thirds of students tend to increase their score after they've taken a second time, but some it's it's not always easy to attribute that to a a single uh, event over that course of time. Other questions? Yes, Mrs. Owsley. Um, it looks like some of this the differentiation is occurring even if the students are taking the core coursework mm. with the ACT prep. I mean, I don't know that that would overcome that gap completely. It might bump it up a little bit, but that there's a larger gap than there is that can be defeated simply by doing ACT prep. I'm not saying that ACT prep wouldn't be useful. I just, in your opinion, I don't know that that gets it done. Right. That's yeah. That's that's yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The board members. Yes, Mrs. Mack. Um, because the ACT is not required by all of our students to take. I think I might know the answer to this question. But do um, teachers spend any time just going through the directions of the test so that they have some type of test preparation? For example, mm -hmm. if, if you answer correctly, it would or would not be counted against your score. Those types of things. I, I can't address specifically that piece of it, but we do provide, so, so for example, on the National Testing Day in, in October, which is really the, the PSAT, testing day. Mm -hmm. uh, for one, what, what helps is, is um, all of our 10th graders take the PSAT and it's, it's structured similarly. The, 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 the college board tests the students are not no longer penalized for guessing so the rules are the same. Um, and then for 11th graders who are, did not sign up for the PSAT in almost all of our buildings, they actually participate in a practice ACT and they do hear um, some of those standardized testing directions. And then that practice I t ACT I score locally here. The scanner makes a lot of noise when I do that. Over, but, and then they were provided with a, um, a, a customized report that they've created. So um, they do experience the, the time constraints and the directions, the standardized directions. And they learn how to bubble. Some students have mm -hmm. never experienced bubbling. In the, and, wow. um, um, then in addition to that, this year was the first year that the legislature chose to fund the pre-ACT 8-9. So this year, actually, our, all, almost all of our freshmen uh, participated in a pre-ACT um, that, is, that is scored by, by the ACT company. And students will receive a score report um, in uh, second week in Jan or second week in December, somewhere in there. So there's, there's other opportunities leading up to it. So we talked about test prep. Mm -hmm. What about the test report? If I it, help me remember, does the ACT obviously it printed out? You get all the information, how you scored, et cetera, et cetera. Is that the test where they sh show you what careers based on your ACT score you might be good in, and how do we use that report in meeting with parents and students and counselors? So the report does provide a, you know, students do complete an interest inventory and then it looks at, you know, whether or not your score aligns with your interests. Um, and, um, and much of that, much of the conversation is going to be building based as to how, that, how that's laid out. Um, we hope that there's individual conversations happening within, within uh, um, in, in counseling, um, but each, each building has to, you know, has to, Find their, find their own way to do that. 
Um, also, not pertaining to the ACT, but through the um, personalized learning plan, or indiv individualized personalized learning plan, there is now a plan from 6th through 12th grade where some interest inventories are taken. And so during advisory time, mascot hour at the middle school, seminar times at the high school, um, for each grade level, it's established what each grade level will do. I can't quote those off the top of my head. I'd be glad to get them to you, though. And... Um, one of them is looking at that interest inventory, what what careers have I been, you know, sort of targeted that I, my skill set is great for or that I might like based on interest. So we're doing that, just not with the ACT, uh, specifically for all kids. Okay. And Heather, I want to respond to a little bit to your question about um, practice, you know, the practice and will it close that achievement gap? And I agree with you. I mean, it might get them a point or two, but... That's why I think it's so important, and elementary principals have heard me say this once and then a hundred times, because I think it's very, very important that when we say share this data, that elementaries are at least looking at their feeder pattern or their home high school ACT scores, because it really starts in our school district. Even I'm going to go back as far as parents as teachers, the work we do with three and four-year-olds, our pre-Ks, and kindergarten through, this is sort of the culminating event. And the nice thing about the ACT, unlike some assessments, is it's not a one-time shot. If kids don't like their ACT scores, they, they, they can take it as many times as they want. And so if I did happen to have a bad day, at least I have another opportunity to take the test. And it is a culminating activity that really goes all the way back to the first interaction that kids have in the school system. But we do have a strategic planning committee looking at um, what it takes at each grade level to get that portrait of a graduate. So we will be talking about these scores all the way back to kindergarten and even pre-K. Thank you. Reverend Guy. So I know one of the criticisms of standardized testing uh, in the past has been <laughs> racial bias in the questions. Um, how is the ACT responding to that? Do we have assurances that that has been factored out, or is that still an ongoing problem? Um, it, it's certainly something we could be reaching out to them to ask about. I haven't, you know, done some just brief research on on ACT documents. They, I haven't found much conversationally in the last five to ten years on 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 bias, other than general articles about bias and standardized testing in general. Um, I, I, you know. I wouldn't be surprised if, like a lot of testing companies, they put their items through a bias review. Um, sometimes they wonder whether it's it's not necessarily the items themselves, but sometimes it's just you looking at the entire structure. Like for example, the the, the nature of the test being timed. So, you're um, if you've got longer processing time, then you're you're going to be at a disadvantage on on, on an assessment like that. Um, if you if you're a little bit slower reader, you're going to be at some of a, somewhat of a disadvantage. So some of those biases aren't necessarily the the item itself, but just the way the the assessments are structured. I will add to that. You know, as you look at the data over the years, there, regardless of income level, the distribution of the scores, uh, Asian being highest, African American being lowest, doesn't change, which is interesting, isn't it? Why is that? Is it is there some implicit bias in the test? If you ask ACT, the answer is no. But it is interesting that that trend exists and continues to exist. That's been going on for 
well, I think I first started studying it in the early mid-2000s. It certainly existed then. So that's why looking at the antecedents. You know, the ACT is a lagging indicator. You've already taken all your coursework by the time you take the ACT. So it's a little late, the game. The more important leading indicators are found in coursework. Not just Algebra 2 or ELA 3, but go backwards into the system, all the way down into elementary school. As we start to look at how children are growing in their learning over time. That's one reason, by the way, you know, we moved up that study on looking at the use of time, including five out of seven and planning time for teachers, because one of the things you know is this. If learning is going to improve, it takes tremendous amounts of teamwork. And that is particularly true when you're working with children in poverty, because oftentimes they'll walk in at lower levels of understanding than peers who come from higher wealth communities. That's not a, I don't want to generalize that to every child. That's not true. But as a group, that, that's a tendency that's there in the data. So it takes a lot of teamwork, not just within a grade, but vertically throughout the entire system to make sure that children are making progress toward those important college and career readiness indicators. So as we go through the years, it's, we, we, have, we need to make sure that we're tracking uh, how students are doing in their learning, and then particularly at the school levels, allow some levels of differentiation and strategy to help them get all their learners where they need to be. Because as we saw in the first site council meeting, you have schools where many, many students are walking in at or above grade level, and you have schools where the same percentage of students are walking in below grade level. And you know what? Every single one of those kids can learn. But how we get them to those learning outcomes matters. And that's where we have to start to differentiate our system. And it goes back to tonight's conversation, doesn't it? It's going to take time. It's going to take patience. It's going to take a tremendous amount of teamwork. And therein lies our challenge ahead is we have to develop a plan that's sustainable to make sure we're doing our very best to help each of us do our respective part to make that happen. So you can't, you can't just prescribe it. We, we've got to study it, we've got to build it, and then create the solutions forward. Mrs. Alston. Is it possible to look at this data with neighboring districts like KCK, Blue Valley, Olathe, and look at their breakdown so that we can see ourselves? I mean, it's more useful to me as opposed to just within the context of the country and then the state, because I feel like our dynamic here at least for our community, we want to know where we're sitting with, you know, our nearest <clears throat> districts. It, um, it 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 will depend on the cooperation level of my cord of my, my my counterparts in the other districts. Right. So there's there's a there's a possibility, um, and of course, um, it depends a little on what data that they've made public as well. So sure. Um, and then some of these components, like some of where we've combined that where I've compared our data set with Skyward. In the raw data file, not everyone does that, so some of those things wouldn't be comparable. But um, we can certainly give give it some effort. Well, or at least find a district with similar demographics, but that's doing better, and maybe be able to key in on. Yeah, that's yeah. one of the things the uh, study groups yeah. are encouraged to do. Right. Find districts that look similar to us. Uh, how do they design learning? You know, how do they go about working together as team members? What time do they have available for that? That's, that's really important. Let's look at best practices, not just locally, but around the country. And then 
think about how that can translate into our context. Thanks. Other questions? Thank you for the update. Appreciate it. We'll now move on to item four, which is our consent agenda for this evening. I'll first turn to, any, to see if any board member would like to pull something for individual consideration from consent agenda tonight. Mrs. Zila. I would move approval of the consent agenda. Second. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. All those in favor of approving the consent agenda as published, please say aye. 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 And those opposed, nay. And that passes 7-0. Uh, now I move on to action items 5.01, and this is approval of a master agreement contract. Dr. Fulton. Yeah, uh, just briefly, you know, we've been having issues with our <clears throat> phones. Some of you may have uh, experienced that over time, and um, it's become a real concern. So our feeling is we need to um, change our contractor that we use to make sure that we're getting reliable phone service. And I'll ask Dr. Aitha if he wants to add to that. He's been working with it. I think you're exactly right. Uh, we, we noticed this in August. We had three three days of outage in the school district be, before school began. Had that outage come in September, October, um, it would have been devastating to the district. And then we had a second outage, and I think we can probably expect a third before it's over and a fourth. So uh, with that said, uh, um, Drew Lane, our executive director of IT, is going to step up and answer any questions you may have about moving this direction. Good evening. Thanks for the opportunity. Normally, I wouldn't uh, venture into the waters of changing a contract for a service like this in the middle of a fiscal year, but as Dr. Ath has pointed out, we've ha we have had a number of concerns with the current service, including those outages. We've been fortunate in those outages only affected inbound calls. Um, but as a part of the concerns that we have, we've never received a satisfactory explanation as to why. And so we also don't know whether or not that would at some point impact outgoing calls. We have also been fortunate in the time where the outages were, we're in fairly non-impactful times prior to the start of the school year. One day it was for a short period of time during a work day, but it was early in the day. Um, these types of things all kind of culminate along with additional information we have about the current vendor that they are actually in Chapter 11 bankruptcy and that uh, customer service has been steadily declining in the past several months. And so for those reasons, uh, I've asked to bring a new service in front of the board for your consideration and, and ask for your approval and would answer any questions you have about the, the change that we're proposing. Thank you. Any questions about the proposed motion and contract? Uh, Dr. Sinclair. Um, what do you to CenturyLink as opposed to other that's a, service that, providers? That's a good question. Um, there are very few providers left that offer this kind of service. The, the long and the short of it is the service that we're talking about here really is, is not the internal phone system for the district. Uh, my team manages that system. This is the go-between that takes our system, uh, the calls that originate from or are coming to our system and makes that translation across. Um, there aren't a lot of other companies out there. However, when we did look around, uh, when you look at reviews for CenturyLink online with different uh, different areas, different customers, those types of things, they get uh, they get uh, fairly good reviews. Um, it, it's somewhat ironic. Nobody really likes the phone company. That that's really kind of what we learn in our research is that nobody really adores their phone company. Uh, but people send 
seem to like this one better than the others that were available to us out there. Yes, Mrs. Zila. And I would, I would assume that you are pretty assured that the, the problems that we've had with our current provider service will not be a part of the CenturyLink. That is the assurance we've been giving, uh, been given. Along with that, um, uh, Rachel England has been very, very good in helping us negotiate a contract that should something like that come up, uh, we have a ripcord. There's, there's, a, er, there's very decent uh, parachute for us. It doesn't save us from having the outage, doesn't save us from the discomfort that goes there, but it can protect us monetarily, it can protect us in terms of uh, damages, those types of things. One of the other concerns we have with, with the current vendor is that even during those outages, we've never been offered nor received any sort of credits for lost time, and those types of things are written into this new agreement with this, this new vendor. Their entire approach to the situation has, has made us feel like they, they really do want us as a customer, that they're, and they're willing to do uh, what it takes to make sure we're we're taken care of, uh, including um, SLAs, service level agreements around uptimes, um, 99 and 49% in some cases. So they've, it, it, for lack of a better phrase, they've put their money where their mouth is. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Mrs. Mack. Um, actually, you answered my question. I was wondering if there were any remedies from the previous vendor for services not performed. At this time, there have not been, no. Other questions? Yes, Mrs. Owsley. What was the difference in price just out the, between our previous contract with the going bankrupt company and now this one? On an annual basis, we're looking at about a $4,600 increase. Uh, if you looked at it at a percentage, about 7.6% over what we'd been paying the previous vendor. Okay, thanks. Um, Mr. Stratton. Yes. Uh, I'd also like to stress, if approved this evening, it'll take about 60 days to make the transition. So, uh, uh, but we have planned for that. Uh, we've got a plan in place, if approved this evening, and ready to move forward. Thank you. Any other board member questions? Yes, Mrs. Mack. I would move approval of 5.01. Second. Thank you, Mrs. Mack, seconded by Mrs. Zila. Mm -hmm. All those in favor of approving the contract as presented, please say aye. 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 Those opposed, nay. And that's approved, 7-0. Thank, Thank you. you. On to 5.02, this is a continued conversation about the approval, uh, potential approval of the district committees and task forces. Um, you have an updated document that's been provided. It's also on the screen now. Uh, to point out, uh, there were two additions made based on our conversation at our previous board meeting. This, as a reminder, is a conversation about the eventual creation of a district committees and task forces specifically, and then specifically a finance and facilities committee. On the first page, uh, in the third paragraph, the, the, the larger one there, about uh, four sentences down, the following was added, just to make sure that you note what was added after a conversation about terms and staggering terms. Uh, let's see, district committee members will be appointed each year based on the board member's position number that appointed them. As an example, in January of 2020, a, a proposed scenario would be all board members will appoint a committee member, so starting in January of 2020. And then in July of 2021, when we do our organizational meeting each year, board members from positions one, three, five, and seven would appoint or reappoint their person. And then in the following year, January, I'm sorry, July 22, board members from positions two, four, and six will appoint and reappoint. Again, the idea is to begin a staggered process so that as new board members come on the committees, they also have, I'm sorry, they come on the board, they have an opportunity relatively 
early on in their term that if they want to continue with that appointed person or bring on a new person. So this allows each of us as board members to re-examine the, the, the idea of the person that we nominated uh, every two years. Um, so I'll pause there for questions, thoughts, comments to that addition. Yes, Mrs. Ela. I, I have no trouble with that. I have a, a question about, in the second paragraph there, all of these committees are called district committees or district task force. And in, the, I believe it's the third sentence, it says, applications to serve on a board committee or task force. I think that should be district there, just so the cohesiveness of that, it's a little anomaly there. Thank you, good catch, thank you. <coughs> Any others on that first page that talks about the process for the district committees and task forces? Um, flipping to the- It's the yeah. same typo in the last sentence, I think. Uh, board committee, thank you very much. Very last sentence, district. Thank you. Any others on the first page? The second one speaks more specifically about the creation of a finance and facilities committee. We've talked about that structure a couple of times. One of the pieces of input from the last meeting was to include the last sentence on the first paragraph, which reads, the superintendent and or designee will set the committee agenda in consultation with the board president. There were some questions and, and comments about who would ultimately set the, the agenda for each of those meetings going in. And so, that's language that is being proposed. Just a question, yeah. Mr. Stratton, and that is, who would report back to the board if there's a report from this committee or task force? Would that be the administrator that's kind of setting the agenda, or what would be that process? I would think the committee report would be from a board member that's on that committee. The board member, okay, yeah. thank you. I mean, that would be my thought, thinking out loud, okay. in consultation with the appointed staff person, but as we do in those other, when we do our board reports, it would be like that. Okay, thank you. Other thoughts, questions, comments? Um, again, as a timeline for, we have a, a board meeting, uh, this one here, and then another one in November, and then one in December. So we have two more board meetings before we turn the calendar page to January. Um, we can take action tonight if you're comfortable doing that, and then we can be begin the process of soliciting the volunteers, uh, the, the folks who would like to be considered to serve on the Finance and Facilities Committee if we, if we move forward tonight. Yes, Mrs. Mack. Um, I, am in, I am in favor of this, but my hesitation is, is that a new board member will be sitting in District 5, and I think that I should, we should talk about whether or not I should afford Mrs. Zila and I should afford that board member the opportunity to appoint that person rather than sitting board members now. As it's written, that would happen. Mm -hmm. So the first, the first one would be January of 2020, would be all board members get the opportunity. So we can solicit names, but we as this sitting board would not make that to selection. Okay. It, would be the, it would be the next sitting board in January that would make, as one of their first, first meeting activities. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Dr. Sinclair. Um, not to cut off conversation, but I would make a motion to move forward uh, with this proposal. I feel like the um, public comment tonight is evidence that we should um, move this conversation of, of our budget and finance into a broader conversation. I think it would be helpful for our community. So, I'll second. second. All right, it's been moved by Dr. Second. Sinclair and seconded by Mrs. Housley. That's fine. Um, I'll open it for any more consideration before we take a vote. 
Anyone else? Yes, what, Mrs. Zila. Question or clarifier that I have. Uh, this will appear in our board manual. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. And this is That's not policy. Okay. This would be board manual uh, addition, which our diligent uh, policy update committee would, would then take into consideration for updating. Exactly right. So I'm thinking if there's new additions to this, it'd be nice to have that in place when we review the board manual. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mrs. And I would have that with the changes that were discussed tonight. Yeah, yeah, I, Correct. I'll clarify that. Thank you, because there were a couple. Mrs. Owsley. I was say, so would they, it doesn't go back to them to do in December. It would just roll in with the other things that they're doing in December. Correct. Correct. I mean, we're adopting it, right, and right. then we would use it as one of the many things that needs to be updated when we review that manual. So as, as proposed, just to make sure we've got it updated, that in paragraph two, there's the word board stricken and the word district written in. There's the language that I read earlier at the very bottom in the last sentence, the word district where board is. To be district. Yeah, to district, yes. All those in favor of approving this, please say aye. 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 Those opposed, nay. And that's passed 7-0. Thank you for walking through that process to create this. I think this will be an important step forward. And now we move on to item six, which is uh, comments from board members this evening. Board members have comments. Mrs. Mack. Um, thank you, Mr. Stratton. Um, I, first of all, I want to apologize that I was out of town at the last meeting. Um, but I want to congratulate those who won the election. Uh, Jessica Hembury and Jamie Borgman are here tonight. I see them sitting over there. Are you sure you still want to do this? <laughs> Um, but I also really want to take a moment and say thank you to all who ran and anybody who runs for public office. It takes a lot of courage. Um, and so I want to thank all of those who stepped out and did that. Um, and speaking of that, um, it does take a lot of courage um, to sit here. And with that being said, I have to be very careful um, because we are in the middle of negotiations and now we're in fact finding and we are not allowed to comment on um, those issues. But I would like to address one thing um, that a patron said tonight. And they talked about um, volunteering in the district and being in the district. I wanted to um, illuminate that we are all volunteers that sit up here. Now we chose to run, but we are all volunteers. But I also know that I look at the men and women um, sitting up here that they spend an awful lot of time in the schools. Um, but what I wanted to talk about were to the, I wanted to say to the parents and to especially to our two new board members coming on. I hope that you take the time to volunteer in the classroom. Dr. Sinclair and I are both MVPs and I've been doing it for over 20 years. I'm also a room mom at one of our elementary schools in the Northwest area. Um, I do think it's important to be in the buildings and to be around kids that are not your own. Um, and so I want to encourage you, and I also want to encourage the other people here um, that are parents and patrons in our community. I was at Broken Arrow today during my, during my volunteer um, time, and I looked up, I was, happened to be in the conference room, and I looked at the whiteboard, and they listed the MVPs. Seven. So there is a need in our community, without a doubt. So please, if you can, please be a volunteer and be an MVP in our district. Um, I would also like to ask um, 
I checked in, and this is the time of year at the end of the year when a lot of families make charitable contributions towards the end of the year. And this is when my family uh, makes a donation to the Shawnee Mission Education Foundation. And I did a little um, checking, and I just wanted to let people know that the CARES Fund, which cares for a lot of our families here in the district that are in need, is in need of funding. So if that is on your heart and you want to give back um, to the district to families that are in need, I would um, just encourage you to, to give to the Shawnee Mission Education Foundation. And. Um, I wanted to say thank you to the high schools for giving us their newspapers. I got Northwest for the very first time tonight. Thank you. The journalism students left. Um, but I want to thank them for doing that. And my last comment, well, first of all, order Thanksgiving because I did that last year from the students and it was fabulous. Um, but the last is really kind of a question for um, I guess for the president of the board, Mr. Stratton. I wanted to know when the Johnson County Six the six Johnson County School Districts we're going to get together. And if that's coming up, is that in conjunction with the KASB meeting in December, or when is that happening? It will not be in conjunction with KASB. That's in Wichita this year, so it won't be as convenient for the Johnson County. Um, that's being coordinated this year by the uh, Olathe District. So the Olathe District is corresponding with our board clerk, and they will be kicking around some dates for us to, to weigh in on, but over the next four weeks. Okay, great. Thank you. The board member comments. Dr. Fulton, welcome back. Any comments from you tonight? Yes, thank you for the opportunity. I just want to thank the board for your kindness. Um, I missed the last meeting, as you well know. It's the first board meeting in 13 years I've missed. <laughs> and uh, you know, the, uh, it's, for the audience's sake, my mother-in-law passed away. And it was a difficult week. You know, my, my mother-in-law passes away on, my, on a Monday. My daughter gets married on Saturday and the service was on that Monday of the board meeting. But uh, we're always thankful for life, aren't we? And for a life well lived. And so I just want to thank you for your kindness and understanding, letting me do that. That was important for Katie and for my grandkids. Or 19, she had 19 grandkids and five great grandkids. They were all at the service. They all spoke. So it was just a, uh, it's a wonderful touching moment. But thank you. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Other board member comments? Our next board meeting is November 25th. There is no executive session. We are adjourned. Thank you.